It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm thrilled that you're tuning in again today. We are continuing in our study in the radical teachings of Jesus Christ our Lord. Last week, we spent some time talking about our vision. That's right, having a vision on eternity legacy, doing the Lord's work, serving faithfully, taking up the cross to follow Him. Many of these radical teachings you'll find within the Sermon on the Mount. They're radical because they are completely opposite to the will and the ways of flesh. And so we really spent some time looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 23. Let me read that to you here, and we'll begin our study here today. The Word says, "...the lamp of the body is the eye." If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Indeed, we spent some time talking about that extensively, especially since Calvary Fellowship is a verse-by-verse expository church. So we really enjoy here on the broadcast going through these powerful texts to examine them in great detail. So to help me to do that, right here in the studio, Dr. Steve Ford is back with me. Dr. Ford, welcome back to Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. This has been a great discipleship series. Mm, And we've had so many great discussions, both on the air and off the air. And uh, today we'd like to share some of the things that we've really been discussing off the air as well, not just on the air. And as we talk about discipleship, I think one of the things that we've mentioned in the past, the scariest verse in Scripture in Matthew mm-hmm. 7, where Jesus says, I never knew you. Right. So then as disciples of Jesus Christ, how do we know that he does know us? Mm. So I wanted to read, this is from 1 John 2, and it's headed as the test of knowing him. Mm. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Mm. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Wow, powerful, powerful. So it's, yeah, it's a great frame of reference. You know, a guy just sort of see where are we on the spectrum. Mm, amen. And, and I know, Dr. Ford, you really wanted to challenge the listener today that as we've been going through this study of where our treasure really is, uh, you made a profound statement that I think many need to hear when it comes to understanding that Jesus is both Savior and Lord of our lives. Uh, Share with us a little bit about your heart on that. Yeah, we we had discussed the words of Tim Keller at a a great Bible teacher that he had encountered early in his education, a Barbara Boyd. And so Barbara Boyd was was really speaking on this subject and says, you know, when I walk into a room, you can't have Barbara and not want Boyd or just have Boyd and not want Barbara. You have to have Barbara Boyd or you have all of it or none. You know, it's, it's one or the other. You can't just have Barbara or Boyd. Mm. And so she made the point that it was the same thing with Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. You can't just have Jesus as Savior. Jesus is also Lord of our lives. And the reason, one of the reasons that we really need to take a look at that, I think that when we think of what we read in the Barna polling, which is really, to me, sort of the, the gallop of Christians, mm. we see that, by and large, as the church, we're not living any differently than anybody else is. So how are we to proclaim Jesus as Lord when we're not living any different than the general population? 
That's right. And, and, and to be Lord means total submission to the directions that he has given to us, obedience, taking right. up the cross to follow him. That meant, is especially with the Galilean backdrop there, as the disciples understood that, that many had been crucified uh, for their endeavors. If they were in opposition to Rome, they would be crucified. If they were going to stand for Jesus Christ, it may cost them everything yeah. and their very lives we're on the line with this allegiance to Jesus Christ. And, and so often we're tested with our money, uh, tested with our possessions, as the rich young ruler was, that these things that give us this illusion of control, we lay at the foot of the cross, that we say, no longer will I have control over my life. You are my Lord. I am your ambassador, your servant, your doulos for the king of kings, right? That This is total uh, withdrawing of your own aspirations and whatever ladders you seek to climb in this endeavor to build your kingdom. You lay all that down before Jesus Christ to, to give him total lordship over your life. Now, quite frankly, this is a process. That's the sanctification process because we resist all of the good work of the Holy Spirit in us. That's a daily process. And I know, Dr. Ford, we spent some time talking about that last week, especially how the flesh is in contention with the work and will of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But you had made a mention of this being a real applicable text for people in all stages of their life, right. especially into the retirement years. That's right. Have we really even submitted those years to the Lord? Uh, do we really take ownership of the, that stage of our life, saying, this is my, my vacation, my time in my season of living? Or is there something else? Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I'm at that interesting stage of life where people ask, am I retired? Am I going to retire? Am I thinking about retiring? So mm-hmm. yeah, you get together and basically, you, you know, you talk about retirement and if, if you aren't, why aren't you? And when are you going to? Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's very interesting and I completely agree. We see no retirement in the Bible and there's this whole American idea of retirement that it's all about me now. Mm. This is my time. I raised the kids and I worked and I did all those sorts of things. But what if we looked at it instead that almost like Paul's view on singleness, now that we are unencumbered by so many of these things in retirement, Mm. we no longer have these obligations and these responsibilities that we can be that much more committed to our relationship with Jesus Christ and that it reveals itself in the way that we live our lives. That's right. Amen. And and we truly are following Romans chapter 12, that we are a living sacrifice we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We've been bought at a price, a great price. Right. And I don't think we fully comprehend the magnitude of that. If we did, we really wouldn't be trying to grasp onto this world like we do, as though it can fill a void that it was never really intended to fill. That was the only to be intended to be filled by Jesus Christ, allegiance to him, and wholly filled by the Holy Spirit. That is his space. After all, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. You're right. And and you know when Jesus tells us to take up our cross daily, the cross was an instrument of death. Mm-hmm. You know those who who lose their life will find it, those who find their lives will lose it. That's right. And I I really believe what Jesus is doing in this process to me, I think a pilgrim's progress and when Christian loses that heavy burden that he's carrying. Mm-hmm. And I think that the Lord, through some of these things that he is calling us to, to completely trust him with every aspect of our life and every aspect of our being, is also calling us to freedom and freedom from all those worries and concerns that we have in day-to-day life, worried about losing our money, losing our health, 
That's right. You know, once we're completely dedicated to, he wants to free us from those burdens. That's right. And we'll get to some of that, too, throughout these radical teachings of uh, of the fact that we can get to a place in our walk with the Lord where we're no longer worried right. about the things of tomorrow. We are so preoccupied with doing his work today that we're not concerned about our retirement and savings and, and the campus that is now what we call our house because it's so manicured and so right. pristine and the automobiles we collect and all these things will no longer dominate our train of thought. It, it now becomes, what can I do wholly, fully to the glory of the Lord this day? And so we want to ask now the question, as we asked the, that pivotal, critical question about how is our vision last week, today let's ask the other question, who are we serving? And this particular passage then asks this all-important question of us all because we are often seeking the best of both worlds. You know, I, I want my, my cake and eat it too or whatever the cliches are there that we think that we can live it up on this earth and have all the riches in heaven simultaneously, to which somebody listening right now is thinking, why not? Why can't I have the best of both? Why can't I live my best life now, right? right. Uh, when the contrary is actually true. We are to be so sacrificial in our nature, foot washing, not taking even a title upon ourselves in service to the Lord, that he receives all the glory in our lives. And you see how John the Baptist was so commended when he had nothing before the eyes of men and yet had everything. Yeah. Amen. He had no attire. He didn't have a, a scrumptious buffet. Uh, he certainly didn't have any <laughs> of the luxuries of this life. It was all about selfless service to the king, sort of, you know, completely deflecting from himself that, that Christ be glorified, that he be de-elevated in the eyes of men holy. That is the proper mindset here. And he tells us in verse 24 of Matthew 6, listen to this powerful word. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So Jesus tells us here that we cannot serve two masters. That's quite clear. And Joshua asked the people to declare their allegiance in Joshua 24, 15, one of my favorite scriptures, he says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. There must be a declaration of allegiance. Yeah, I think uh, once again, quoting Tim Keller, he really... And I think some of the things that we're really speaking about are idolatry, mm. you know, worshiping the created thing as opposed to the creator. And he says, you can tell in your life when you're reaching that point when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, mm. something that I can absolutely not live without. Whatever that is, that's what you worship. So whatever is an ultimate thing for you, that your life would be completely ruined without it, that's what you're worshiping. I think we probably have more of that going on in our lives than we realize. Yeah. Uh, there's an emotional crutch, a tie to something, a family heirloom, something that would just be devastating to leave behind. I think we have more idols yeah. in our lives than we care to admit. And that's part of the detoxification process. I mean, certainly Israel needed that when they left Egypt. That's right. God had to detoxify their entire way of thinking because they were not ready for a theocracy. That they didn't know such a thing. They had to come under the authority and lordship of God. 
And that's what we're asking, calling calling on believers to do right. simultaneously here is to de-elevate themselves, put themselves aside, and elevate God in their lives, detoxify themselves, which they cannot do in their own strength. We know that. This is an inner working of the Holy Spirit, a sanctification process that Jesus Christ puts us through, the refiner's fire to purge us of all that entangles in our lives, that holds us into this system of Babylon that we become so dependent upon. All of this was echoed by Elijah in 1 Kings 18.21 when he said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. That part is the hardest, I think, for me to even process in this, is that they are... They are confronted with the choice that all of us are confronted by. John 14, 6 tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father apart from him. He is the only path. He is the narrow way that is wrought with difficulty. Right. It is a struggle to persevere in it because everything goes against our fleshly nature. The wide road, that's the path that's of least resistance. That's easy. That's right. everything for me. Yeah. Raising my own empire, yeah. right? Yeah, we wouldn't need God's armor to travel the wide road. <laughs> That's right, amen. <laughs> There's a reason, like you said, and Jesus made it clear that the, the way is difficult. Not, not only is it narrow, but it's difficult, and there's few of us that find it. That's right, amen. Yeah, you know, Jesus once challenged all of us here at this Sermon on the Mount message, challenging us to repent to change our minds about earthly treasures, about the things that we formerly served, and to serve Him only. Uh, this message is now echoed throughout all of time. It wasn't just for those who were listening to the these powerful words of the Lord at that time, but ever since, throughout the church age, we have to be reminded of our first love. That's right. And, and certainly with the seven churches in the book of Revelation, we see five of them that are, uh, well, there's condemnable behavior that was going on. They lost their first love. They had started to adopt, once again, the ways of this world, loving the things of this world, thinking themselves to be rich when they were poor, blind, and naked, and they had lost the things of their first love, and their moorings were off uh, kilter here. Uh, They were not firmly rooted in a strong foundation of truth. And I want to point to some examples here. Example number one comes to mind. The Apostle Paul addresses this. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8, he says, But what things were gained to me, these things I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. What an example that is. That really is a living example of the exchange that we have when we give up these things that Jesus is asking us to give up, and instead we receive his joy. And Paul mm-hmm. is living, it was a living testimony to that. I mean, think of all the things that Paul went through. That's right. I mean, he even called us to model him because he was modeling Christ. Right. And it's not that we were trying to follow Paul as somehow the leader of our lives, but rather as a living model, a testimony to say, I am following what Christ revealed in me. And the burden of such was that he be an example to all who followed after him. 
we likewise as ambassadors for, for Christ really need to hold to that same line of thought. We're not going to purge out all imperfections. Only Christ can do that. We can't live a perfect life in this vessel, but we can certainly strive for the fruits of righteousness that come by the Holy Spirit living in us, that that be a living example to those who come and follow after us. Yeah, you make such a great point, you know, and also where Jesus is speaking and says that we can do nothing without him and that we need to abide in him. We can't do any of these things on our own. We can't make these changes for more than, I mean, I can't make these changes for more than a few seconds at best (laughs) on a good day. That's right. You know, it's only the abiding power of the Holy Spirit that allows me to be able to to make anything. I think, the you know, sometimes we may think that we've grown or changed and somehow we've improved with our walk with the Lord. Well, step away from the Lord for a minute and then just <laughs> see, see how, how quickly uh-huh. that nature comes back again. Once again, personal experience. Right. Uh, it's only as we abide in him and he abides in us that we have a chance of living this life of freedom that he has for us. You know, I have actually met believers who uh, almost acted as if they had arrived. Mm-hmm. That, that somehow they had read enough of the scripture that they were able to live what they thought was the obedient life. Wow. That somehow they had, they could make those moral choices. And therefore, what they did was justify irregular attendance at church. Yeah, right. not going to the small groups anymore. I know. Yeah, yeah, you know, not not really reading the Bible like right. I, I need to be reading because really it's a simple message after all, right? It, it, this is the gospel message, and I just need to apply that every day, and and maybe I'll pray on occasion that I'm strengthened to do it because well, now that I know, I just walk in what I know, as opposed to understanding the power in over thirty one thousand verses in the Bible that I don't know about Doctor Doctor Ford from your opinion on this, but. I certainly can reread the same verse That's exactly over and right. over Such again, a blessing. be so convicted by it yep. that almost just kind of knocking myself on the side of the head going, how did I miss that? Right. I've read that verse right. 15 right. times that's before. So right. That's so cool. That and happens. that's that maturation process that we dare not think that we've arrived. We dare not think that the word ever has given us enough. Ceases to speak to us. Yeah, it, it, yeah it's, it's constantly a mind you can keep drawing from. A, a well that never runs out of the waters of life it, it is something that, that feeds us on a daily basis. And it, it's no more than I think that I don't need to eat tomorrow. Right. Then, then somehow I might not think that, I, well, I've got enough of the word. I don't need to eat of it tomorrow. We have got to feed the Spirit, and we have to live off these truths. And what the Apostle Paul demonstrated was that he was serving one master, and that master was Jesus Christ, him alone. So the things of this world, the things this world that seemed to offer or appeal to the flesh in any way whatsoever, no longer had a hold on him. That seems to me the the pinnacle of what we're trying to aspire right. to is is to be so Christ-like that we no longer care about the things of this world from a monetary nature, from a materialistic nature, as if somehow our house is is some level of achievement or the things that we possess or some uh, you know goal or challenge that we've sought after to accomplish in this life. Those things become really so frivolous, so expendable that, that we realize how far we have yet to go if those in any way have become a mile marker in this journey of life. And and so the Lord had changed his heart. The Lord had changed his mind. There was truly a washing and regeneration of the mind in this. And we have to then ask ourselves, what is Christ doing in us? You had already made mention of it at the beginning of the the program, Dr. Ford, that, that we are almost indistinguishable at times 
from the thinking of this world. Is if somehow our marriage covenantal vows are expendable or subject to change based on how I feel today, then I can choose to be obedient today. And you know, Lord, you can, you can be Lord of my life on Sunday and maybe sprinkled throughout the week, occasional lordship. I'll, I'll defer to your leading in my life, but to truly submit every waking moment. Yes, even every sleeping moment to his lordship. This is where we'll see radical change in our lives. You don't belong to you anymore. You belong to another. Yeah, that's a great illustration of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I think even as you talk about the life of Paul, recently I was reading about Jesus heading to Jerusalem and and setting his face towards Jerusalem. And I think that's what mm. we see in the Apostle Paul, setting his face towards Jesus. And I think the same thing that we're called to in the exact same way, we are to set our face towards Jesus solely, completely, and alone, distinctly on him keeping our focus on him day in, day out. And like you said, each day, taking up our cross daily, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow because you're going to freak out. <laughs> and that, you know, there's basically enough bad stuff happening today. You need me to get through just today. Don't worry about tomorrow. He made us. He knows how we're designed. He knows what we're going to do. Uh, but that's right. you know, that's a, it's a great illustration of what it looks like with Jesus as savior versus Jesus as Lord. Right. Yeah. And the two are uh, hermetically, Together, right, together right? right? They are sealed together. You cannot separate those. They are one in the same. He is Savior and Lord. And I believe that's where Matthew 7 comes in, is we exactly. do not see individuals in that particular case where they're crying out, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things right. in your name? And it's like, but was he Lord over your life? That's You're going exactly back to right. a works-based system that elevates you even over God as if you did it for him as opposed to being subservient to him. Is he truly Lord of your life? And Dr. Ford, we keep talking about this powerful verse of taking up the cross to follow him. It really means what we're talking about here today of discipleship. Count the cost. Because either it's him or us, his kingdom come, or our earthly pursuits. Let me read that text in our short period of time here. we got to take up our cross and follow him. That's captured in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38, and Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. Let's read that here while we have time in our broadcast in the short time. Boy, it goes by so fast. Here's what it says. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's Mark eight thirty four to 38. Luke fourteen thirty three says, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple." powerful words. And both, we have this absolute allegiance that is declared that like the betrothal process, we go through communion, we go through baptism. Why do we do that? Because the backdrop was the Galilean wedding. 
in that there was under a hoopah, a canopy. They would break bread. They would drink of the wine. They would go through water immersion because it demonstrated that two individuals were making an allegiance to one another that I belong to another. I will remain pure and undefiled until the wedding feast, which could be a year later. The father would determine that. So the groom would go off to prepare a place would be adding a room to the home estate and getting it all ready. And then the father would tell the groom, you can now go back and get your bride. Most likely about a year later, they would then go through the street shouting to everybody, letting them know the, the wedding is about to begin. Come now. They all had to be ready with their lanterns full, dressed, ready, appropriate for the occasion, knowing that it was about to happen. They could see the signs. They were readied for it, and they didn't let their lanterns run out of oil in expectation that the wedding feast was about to occur. So with all these things in the backdrop, we can now see that as we are to be in allegiance to Jesus Christ, pure and undefiled he will come for his church i believe in a glorious rapture we will be with him forever and ever there will be a wedding feast with the lamb and so we are to be set apart from this world we are to make a decision don't be drawn in by the harlot of babylon no we are to be a pure bride undefiled by this world dr Ford, the time just gets away from us I hope that as you have been listening to this broadcast, you are a listener, you've been encouraged today. We have been continuing in this wonderful series of the radical teachings of Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you have missed the prior broadcast, please go and check them out. Listen to them again and again. Share them with your friends and family alike. You can find those broadcasts and more at calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley Church. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays, and we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.